Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In this podcast, we chat about the defeat to Rotherham, talk about the playoffs, uh, look ahead to Coventry, and answer your podcast questions. This is the Bora Breakdown Podcast, and this is all your Bora Mash Day Chatter in a pod. Support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hello and welcome to the Board Breakdown podcast with Johnny, Dana and fresh from climbing Mount Killerman Rotherham, uh, Tom and <laughs> welcome uh, to the show. And Middlesbrough have had back-to-back defeats um, in the last two games. We've secured fourth position and there's been some injuries mounting up, which is scaring everyone. Um, but guys, how are we feeling about the last week or two? I know we were on Twitter spaces and had a brief discussion around the Luton game, and we weren't particularly too bothered about that defeat. But I want to know how you're feeling right now after the defeat to Rotherham. So, Dana, how are you feeling in three words? Um, To be honest, eager for playoffs. And I know that's four words, but hopefully we can bypass that. It's just that the past... Do we need VAR? Do we need Keith Stroud no, no, in, this, in this? In, in, in this context, playoffs is one word, so I think you got the... Mm, yeah. Yeah, get VAR. But yeah, just eager for the playoffs, to be honest, because the past two games, and you probably categorise the Coventry game as this as well, they've been dead rubbers. We didn't podcast after the Luton game because I don't think we were asked about it, to be honest. As bad as it sounds, we obviously lost. But we can't go anywhere from here. We are absolutely nailed on for fourth place. We've known our, our playoff fit for a while, for a couple of games now. So it's not really been... I mean, Carrick won't categorise this, but kind of pointless in a way. So I'm just looking forward to having, um, you know, the injuries hopefully cleared up and, and those players back and a game which has something riding on it because, yeah, it just seems like this end to, this, to the regular season has been, yeah, a bit of a dead rubber, to be honest. So roll on the playoffs. Hmm. Tom? I mean, fresh, you know, you went all the way to Rotherham. It was a long trip, um, an hour and a bit, but you, you made it there and back safe. Um, which is the most important thing. Three words, how are you feeling? For me, I, I had three words regarding momentum, but I'm going to say Coventry is key. I think especially if we end up playing them in the playoffs, we can't go into that off the back of a loss uh, at home last game of the season because it's, it's just going to give them confidence. We need to come back next week even in a game which you know has no stakes realistically we just can't give them that confidence if we end up playing them in the playoffs so for me hopefully some of the injuries are are back by that game and and we need to come into that strong and and be like the the borough we we know really um because like i say as there's no stakes and there hasn't been in the last few games 
like there there is to an extent in this one for, for me so uh, yeah coventry is key um I, I will also can kind of add the you know yesterday I, I mentioned on the twitter space that we, we did kind of feeling guilty about not caring about some of the results and yesterday was another uh example of that you know it was it was a one nil loss potentially you know rotherham's becoming like the new barnsley where we'll you know it's a, a closer way day and then we'll go there and see a, a bad performance and a one nil loss um but like even even afterwards like rotherham fans all celebrating staying up and stuff and we were just walking out like oh good on them and then, like having a bit of crack with the fans outside, and they're saying they hope we win the playoffs. We're happy with they stayed up, etc. Like we can't go into this last game with that sort of mindset. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Tom, as well. I think Coventry is a massive game for us as well, um, just to try and build form again and try and build momentum into the playoffs. And I think my three words would be not too concerned. Um, underlying day would suggest that. You know we've still performed relatively okay over the last few last couple of games. Not really the end of the world um, that we haven't created too many chances against Rotherham, but against Luton we were really good. And both games have kind of had really bad refereeing decisions, which have completely changed the game state of the game. So it is what it is. I think to to quote Tony Mowbray. So um, it is what it is. I'm not too concerned. We're still playing quite well. I thought we played quite well with ten men yesterday and. We just move on and we we go again and look ahead to Monday, um, which will be all exciting. Um, but let's talk about the Rotherham game then, and we'll start with the team news because McGree, Smith, and McNair all returned to the squad, but Johnny Housen uh, had an injury and dropped out uh, just before kickoff, and there was no Ryan Giles at all uh, following a knock in training. Um, so. Tom, uh, it's a bit of an obvious question, really, but um, how much is a concern that we're having these injuries at this moment? Uh, it's terrifying, me to be honest with you, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was glad that we had those three players back yesterday, and then it just seems like you know, two steps forward, one back, because now we're missing Giles and Housen. Um, hopefully, the issue with Giles isn't isn't serious, and really open that you know, top assister in the championship. Uh, or at least he was last time I checked the table. I don't know if he still is, but you know he's a key part of how we play. And so and so is Housen. Um, so we desperately need those two back. I'd love to have Force Ramsey and Dale Fry back for for the playoffs as well. The my mate who I went with yesterday was talking about the injuries and you know speculating could it just be mind games because you know we, we've not heard any details on many of them um, and maybe Carrick's kind of learned that from from Fergie. Apparently he used to kind of do something similar saying, you know, so-and-so's not going to be playing and then, you know, come match day, they were in the starting 11. Hopefully it's something like that. I'd love it to be some sort of like big master plan from Carrick and secretly everyone's fit. But, <laughs> you know, how likely that is, uh, I would say probably unlikely. Um, but we just need some of these players back for, for the playoffs. It's, the worst possible time of the season to to be getting injuries like this. Yeah, I th- I, and I agree with you to an extent, Tom. I think uh, Carrick is having some shit housery there, and he, I think he is masking a few things. You know, you could see a little a little grin when he's asked about it most of the time. And I think there is some players that we are, you know, who of course are injured, but I think it's not as bad as we we think it is anyway. But it'll still be nice to see a full fresh group come the playoffs if we were able to have that. But 
for Houston's injury. It creates opportunity for Paddy McNair to come in, Dana, and he came in last minute, and of course came in from an injury as well. But how would you think he fared and you know playing that midfield role again? Yeah, I thought he was he was good because I mean he was in defence, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow, it? yeah, yeah. I think with Paddy McNair at the moment, there's just this cloud of gloom and, and doom whenever he's mentioned in the starting 11 or in the team and I feel like that's really unfair and yesterday I thought he coped well whenever he was called into action he he did a good job he didn't let a lot past him Rotherham didn't have a big threat it must be said but I thought when he was called into action he was faultless you know when the ball came into the box he headed it out and defensively in terms of his position as well I thought he was he was good so I, I couldn't really complain about Paddy McNair's performance I think as I've said on the podcast before when we criticize players I think it's always fair that when they play well we praise them as well so yeah I thought Paddy McNair did fine considering as well that he was a late introduction or reintroduction to the team also considering that he's been injured for the past couple of games I thought he yeah he was he was faultless I, I can't really complain about his performance yesterday so like looking into the game in itself and get your overall assessment then and i don't want you to mention keith stroud just yet because okay. i feel like we should come okay. to that in just a moment but overall performance borough wise like the things that borough can control what was your assessment on that i thought it was a really poor game to watch like it was a tough tough spectacle because it was really bitty it was stop start Rotherham had two men injured in the first half alone and the first stoppage, the Ogbené hamstring injury, really stopped any momentum that Borough were building up at that point. I actually thought we started the game pretty decently. McGree was really influential, picking up key positions. I don't think Rotherham could have really deal with his movement. And it was he who had probably, I would say, the best chance of the game. He dinked the ball over Victor Johansson and Richard Wood uh, was able to recover his position, having um, initially been outpaced and he cleared the ball before it bounced over the line. But then on the other side of the stoppage, we just didn't really recover, and the game suited Rotherham far, far more than it suited us. It was exactly what they probably would have wanted, because Rotherham would be mindful that when Borough get out of first gear, when they're allowed time to just breathe and for the game to have a flaw and a rhythm to it that we can wipe the floor with teams we've done that time and time again under Michael Carrick so it was probably a good thing for Rotherham that the game was how it was because it just suited them and unfortunately for us we just we paid the price for having a man sent off <laughs> haven't mentioned Keith Stroud yet haven't mentioned him but Carrick said that we were better in the second half. I do agree to a certain extent in regards to controlling the game and possession, but we had an inferior uh, threat in front of goal. Our XG in the first half, if I bring it up, was uh, 0.57. And in the second half, it was only 0.19. I can only remember two chances. It was one from the Rotherham player, nearly scored no goal. And then Tommy Smith's rather wild volley that he should have done better with. So although we were better in the second half in terms of possession, we were far worse in terms of our goal threat, which is going to happen when you when you have a man sent off. You've got Chubrat Pom essentially. And he's like playing two roles at once. He's got no one in front of him to link up with and he's having to drop deep and he's having to try to play Cameron Archer's role as well. So when you don't have Cameron Archer in the team, you don't have that threat in behind and, you know, Richard Wood 
is not going to be put under any sort of pressure in regards to his pace because there's nobody there getting him behind. So, yeah, it was... Um, I'm not mentioning Keith Stroud, but you know what I'm thinking behind all well, of this. It was it was it was difficult for us after that. Well, I'm going to come to him in just a moment, but obviously there was another key moment in the game which gave Rotherham the win, and it was the the goal. Um, Tom, what's your thoughts on it? Do you think Stefan can do a little bit better there? I will say I've not rewatched it, and from where I was in the stadium, uh, it was one of the first rows of of the Borough stand, so. I didn't have a great view of it as it was down the other end. I thought quite a few players should have done better with that, coming up to close it down. And, yeah, I thought Stefan probably should have dived for that. Um, I don't think there was too much of an excuse not to dive. Um, you know, potentially maybe being caught out and not expecting the shot, but I still feel like he should have been expecting that. And, you know, the whole crowd was yelling, shouting shoot at that point. So, you know, obviously <laughs> that's what was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think I think he could have done better, but I, I also wondered if there was kind of like a bit of um, what's the right word for it? Just the players not really being asked, and, and like in, in terms of like getting over, uh, getting out and, and covering it, because there were quite a few occasions yesterday where the ball was in a fifty-fifty position, and obviously the Rotherham players they're battling for it. You know, they know that a win's going to keep them up. We looked like, nah, you can have it. We don't want to get injured before the playoffs. So I, I do wonder if there was an element of that to it. And I also wonder if there's an element of that in taking Cameron Archer off um, at halftime. Obviously, we did have to um, take someone off, but he's played you know, every, every minute of... Well, I don't know if it was every minute, but he, he's, he's played the last few games and started, um, even when players have been getting rested. So I do wonder if that was... A, a decision made just to kind of keep him as fresh as possible um, while also balancing the team. Mm. On that goal yeah, as well, by the way, sorry, on that goal, by the way, I think it's it, it's important to know how we got into that position because we've mentioned on this podcast before that for a goal, you could probably rewind it a few steps and see exactly what was essentially the first falling domino towards that happening. And Tommy Smith just loses the ball. He, I think he tries to come inside, he loses the ball and then... Um, who scored it? A, doff, a dolphin, I think it was. Yeah, a dolphin. It's, I mean, it's not a, an, an arrowed shot right into the top corner with a lot of power behind it. It's sort of in the middle of the goal, sort of. So, yeah, Stefan, it's almost like he was playing pro clubs and his controller batteries ran out. It was like <laughs> and he couldn't move. It was really weird. But, I, yeah, I, I think Stefan won't be particularly pleased with himself about that one because I was thinking, why didn't he actually dive for that? It, it looks like, from, from the replay, it does look like Lenahan is in his way, or there's Borough defender in his way, where it, it just goes round him. I think he sees it late, and obviously it, it goes in the back of the net, and you're kind of a bit concerned from it. And you're right there, like, as soon as someone loses the ball, it creates that domino effect, and you're, you're on the transition, and teams are probably going to, if you're out of position, they're going to get you. So it's uh, it's a bit of a shame, but I agree with you as well, Tom, around like the players maybe taking their foot off the gas ever so slightly, Confidence is really key in the game when I've spoken about that last few weeks. But I think in case of when you've got something big coming up, you don't want to lose it now. You've worked so hard to get to this position. Um, you don't want to be injured going into a, such a big opportunity for, for the club and for yourself. It makes sense just to kind of not go for something that you want to go for. Um, and it's a, shame, it's a shame really because if you look at a fan perspective, you want Borough uh, to give 110%, you want to win the game and you want to see a really good performance. 
player perspective is we still want to win. We still want to give as much uh, much we can in terms of like effort. But also there's an aspect of, well, if something risk if, if something risky is going to happen, do I really want to take that risk at the moment in terms of like tackling, like pulling, like you got know, like taking that extra sprint when you don't when you're feeling a little bit like leggy. So there's little things like that, and I don't think like yesterday is too much of con- concern. And yes, I know that. The, like the last couple of games haven't been great in terms of you know creating a hat full of chances, but in terms of what we did at Luton, we were really really good. Um, lost to a bad decision. The game yesterday, it was a bad decision. About down to ten men, I thought we still played quite well with the ball in terms of against against Rotherham. So it's not a bad thing. I think if you look at Borough's performance and XG performance, I think it was still overperformed by like twenty plus goals. We still create a hat full of chances. We still created a few chances yesterday even with 10 men like half chances if anything but still looked good enough to dominate the game and it was okay could be better I know it'll be better I think Coventry will see a completely different Borough side to what we have seen over the last couple of weeks but I'll let you not mention uh, Keith Stroud uh, Dana um, and there were some really key moments in the game really um, you know Hayden Hackney probably could have been sent off. Um, do you think he was fortunate to stay on Hayden Hackney because it, it looked like a bit of a bad one? Yeah, I honestly thought when I saw the replay back, I was like, oof. It, it's never nice to see a professional foul like that. Obviously, we probably put it in the umbrella of shithousery, but the intent of that tackle wasn't good to see. I'm not going to lie. And I think it's important to separate the tackle from the injury because Ogbené gets injured after the tackle, so the tackle doesn't cause the injury. However, for me, that's at the very at the most lenient an orange, the you know <laughs> the the cliched orange card. But if Keith Stroud would have brandished the red, I wouldn't have complained about it, to be honest, as much as it's Keith Stroud. Because I just think he's, he tackles him sort of from, it's almost like from behind, but more to the side. And he sort of jumps into it a little bit. It's not a good challenge. It isn't. And I feel like he's got a habit of hacking, as Hackney, living up to his name. Um, <laughs> these little fouls that aren't really needed and I feel like that was really unnecessary to be honest but you know he didn't get sent off he, he, he might he, he probably was fortunate to get away with it in my opinion Hayden Hacker Hackney yeah well that'll catch on <laughs> that will absolutely catch on but obviously the big moment really like still getting sent off Tom what's your views on it was it the correct decision <laughs> Uh, well, I've only seen this one from watching it back on Twitter because I was in the queue for the bar at the time. <laughs> You've done, it. You've done an I, Elliot there. I know he's done an Elliot. I know. Honestly, I, I left when there was an injury. I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go and just get a bottle of Coke and you know, make one of a bottle of water. Oh, well, well done. Just, bottle of Coke everyone, and a bottle of water. Everyone was at the bar, like, you know, buying six pints at a time and... It felt like there was only two people running the bar at a time, so I missed the remainder of the first half up until the free kick. Uh, For a cup and a bottle of water. I know, it's disgraceful. But, um, yeah, I've watched it back uh, on Twitter. Thankfully, we had signals, so I managed to see it at halftime. Not a red card. Uh, For me, absolutely not. Uh, Lenahan was there covering, and also... 
you know, despite the fact that it might be a little bit clumsy from from Dyksdale, I really feel like Hugel made the most of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it was a shocking decision from Keith Stroud. Um, probably one to add to the list of people who need to get a job working in the dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and to, to be fair, if, if there was going to be a red card that first half, I wouldn't have complained with a Hayden Hackney challenge. That was just idiotic from Keith Stroud so you know god knows what he's still doing refereeing yeah, yeah John well, Hugel ought to be ashamed of himself to be honest I mean the way that he <clears> just <throat> for me and this might be with my Borough rose tinted spectacles on it was just six of one and half a dozen of the other when they both go down it's like they both drag each other down like obviously Dykesdale initiates a contact at worst it's a, a yellow card but last man, are you joking? Like, there's an instant in the second half where Lenahan sort of collides. It's very awkward coming together with Georgie Kelly. That's last man, and that's more of a red card than the actual red card. It was absolutely baffling, to be honest. And I never liked the Dickens anyway. <laughs> ah, fair enough then, yeah. Well, <laughs> now, that, now that you've said that, the Dickens uh, shares have just dropped uh, through the floor. Here, so congratulations uh, for that. Um, but yeah, obviously, you, I'm assuming you're both disappointed with the with the red cards. And there was a moment in the game where I think both sets of fans were saying you're not fit to referee, um, which is quite something. If if both sets of fans are doing that to you, and I mean Keith Stroud's got like a reputation. Let's be honest; like everyone knows that he wants to make it a little bit about him. It's obvious he makes bad decisions. It happens all the time. I don't think I ever see anything positive about Keith Stroud. If you look on like Twitter <laughs> on social media or anything, you get a lot of compliments. And it, look, being a referee is very difficult. It can be a very lonely place um, at times. You make one decision that doesn't go right. But feel like it's... He, I don't know. Just feel like he's just not very good. Um, sorry to say that. But Tom... What do you think of that as a whole then in terms of like both sets of fans actually saying that about him? I thought that was hilarious, to be honest. Obviously, being in, in the stand for that, it looked like afterwards both sets of fans were actually applauding each other. And that, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me because of like the whole um, the whole nature of the game. Like, you know, both sets of fans were having crack with each other before and after the match. So it wouldn't surprise me if... You know, there's been kind of some mutual respect there and applauding each other, but that's honestly what it looked like at the end of singing that. And I just thought, like, I've never seen that before. But yeah, everyone's come together just to hate on Keith Stroud. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> it's poetic. It's just poetic. Um, but you know, it's right, rightly so. I mean, look, last two games we've had really bad decisions go against us, and it happens in this division. You don't have bar to go go with, but if you got promoted, you do, and even that's still a bit of a farce. So, um, for for some for some opportunity for some, for some games, so. It it wasn't just it wasn't just Keith Stroud either. It was the the linesman on the camera side. He there were a few questionable offside was it offside was it onside decisions throughout the game because Maddo kept mentioning it on BBC T's that that was offside. Oh, that should have been offside. And then he was laughing when the Rotherham fans were heckling that particular linesman because he was like, well, you know, even they think that he's been appalling. So. I feel sorry for the other linesman who I don't think put any put a foot wrong during the game. When you've got Keith Stroud and the other linesman, it's not great, is it? And it was just little things like the balls on the quadrant 
not the way Keith Stroud wants it on the quadrant, but we're just going to put it back exactly how it was before and now it's suddenly okay. And it took him about four fouls to book Jamie Lindsay, who committed the most fouls in the game. The way that Keith Stroud was refereeing that football match, honestly, I'm surprised that Jamie Lindsay stayed on the, the, the pitch because he was just a serial fouler in that game. It was just like, obviously, I don't really want the narrative of this game to become about the the referee because people would be like, oh, well, Borough were poor anyway. But in my opinion, Borough were poor as a direct consequence of having a shit ref. Because you've got to think, this uh, the Dyke Steel red card came just before half time. Borough are statistically much better in the second half than they are in the first. And I am convinced that if we'd have stayed with 11 men, we would have won that game. Because whether we were poor in the first half or not, we would have improved in the second half. I'm almost convinced of it because it's just what we've seen under Carrick. So, oh, yeah, it's it's not yeah. great, is it? Well, to add fuel uh, to the to the fire, um, there's an there's an article in, in the Daily Echo from 2016 which says a Keith Stroud is a Luton supporter. So there you oh go, playing God. all the conspiracy theories uh, on that one. And there's also uh, um, something on Change.org where QPR fans have signed a petition for him to like not referee them again, which I thought was quite funny. Um, oh. But yeah, he supports Luton of all teams, so should he be refereeing our game? If, Who knows? If, yeah, if that's true, then I don't understand that. Like, I don't understand why you would put a, a Luton fan refereeing a Middlesbrough game. I, I don't get that. I really don't. Obviously, mm. like, this isn't a shoot out between Luton in second and Borough in third and we've lost the potential of automatics because of Keith Stroud but still like I just don't think that should happen but maybe there's just not a deep pool of referees because you you see the amount of stick they get but a little bit of transparency i.e. post-match interviews with them would alleviate a lot of the pressure that I think they have because at least we know why they've made that decision but they don't front up they don't show themselves so then we're sat here on this podcast and tom's saying you should go and work in the dark because you're not good at refereeing so <laughs> well he can if he wants um they, they should be mic'd up like in rugby league for me yeah like, or, or rugby in general they should be mic'd up and have to explain the decisions as they're made if there's any debate over it um obviously vr is still contentious because you know sometimes it does get stuff wrong but it, there should be at least some explanation given for those decisions. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. But you know, let's let's not chat about Keith Stroud anymore because he just does my head in. Um, but I want to talk about the playoffs uh, instead because you know Borough's momentum has been a little bit meh in the last couple of games since we've kind of confirmed our playoff position. Uh, but Dana, what do you think? Is is playoffs all about momentum? What do you think? Yeah, that's branded about quite a lot around this time of the year when you're a playoff team. But I looked into it a little bit. I looked on Soccer Stats, which is a fantastic website, by the way. And in six, sorry, in three of the last six seasons has the most informed playoff team won through the playoff route. The exceptions to that were last season where Huddersfield were in technically better form than Forest over the last eight games of the regular season. They were averaging 2.38 points per game Forest uh, sorry that was Huddersfield uh, Forest were averaging two points per game obviously it was a playoff final between Huddersfield and Forest and Forest were the victors there then in 2019-20 where the most informed team in the playoff pack 
were Brentford, who were averaging 2.25 points per game. The eventual playoff winner, Fulham, were averaging just below them 2.13. And then in 2016-17, this was a really interesting season, actually, because technically the most informed team was Sheffield Wednesday, but they didn't even get past the playoff semi-finals. It was Huddersfield, who had got into the top six with a minus goal difference, who won the playoffs on penalties after that nil-nil draw against Reading, who were in by far the worst form of any team in that you know, playoff contingent, they were averaging 1.25 points per game over the last eight games, which is pretty much mid-table form. And, you know, the most informed team, Sheffield Wednesday, as I said there, 2.38 points per game. They didn't even get past the playoff semis. So uh, I'll repeat, three of the last six seasons, the most informed playoff team has won the playoffs. And that's going back to 16-17 because so for Soccer score, wrong thing. Soccer stats only went back to to that season. But yeah, the takeaways that I'd probably take from that, I think momentum and form plays a part, but I don't think it's a necessity. And you've got to think as well, looking at the context of Borough's last two defeats, heavily, heavily influenced by the officials. I thought we played well against Luton and I, I maintain the belief that had we not, had Keith Stroud not got his grubbed little hands all over that game yesterday against Rotherham, that we would have won that game. So is it important? I don't think it's as as important as people make out, but Borough's PPG right now, by the way, of their last eight games, 1.25, which is not particularly great, but context, I think, does matter here. And we've sort of faded out this season because there's nothing really to play for anymore um, in the regular season anyway. So, yeah, context here, I think, is is really, really important for me. Yeah, and we'll only have two wins in the last seven. Um, with the points of mind, Tom, is it, a, is it a bit of a concern that we're not firing from all cylinders? Would you like us to be in that place already? Um, it, it is a bit of a concern for me, but as Dan has just said there, the context around the last two games is, is really key. I also thought we played well against Luton. I thought we were the better team. Um, I thought the better team lost that, that game, and Luton didn't really kind of give me anything to fear in the playoffs. Um, now that I've said that, we'll probably get beat off them, but... Um, <laughs> no, that, that, that game, I, I didn't really kind of feel anything after us, you know, it didn't really affect anything and all, all I kind of felt was confidence that we can we can beat them. Um and, and yesterday it, it just seemed like a, a bit of a nothing game and you know Keith Stroud obviously ruined it. Um wanted to be the centre of attention. So yeah, like like Dana said, context is kind of really key around the, the last couple of games, but I, I do wish we'd had a few more wins within that last eight uh, to kind of carry into the playoffs. For me, a uh, big performance against Coventry needed. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it'd be huge for us to to beat Coventry. I think we probably wouldn't end up playing them. I don't think if we if we beat them um, in 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 the playoffs, if unless they you know they beat Luton and in the in the go through it that way. Um, but is it a concern? I agree with with both. It's a kind of it's like a minor inconvenience, but for me, also, and it's this can be quite bold, but I don't think we're the favourites anywhere in the playoffs. I think Luton are your favourites. They finished third. That's the merit. 
you have the third best team in the league on on over the 46 game season you should be favorites to go into that um, regardless of whatever you've spent in the summer whatever your stadium looks like whatever this all this <laughs> thing is that people are starting to talk about oh god Luton are your favourites at this moment in time and Boris should have no pressure at all going into it. I think where we were a few months ago to now, it's chalk and cheese. You know, like we've came on so much in such a short space of time. Recruitment starting to get there. I remember doing a like an audio blog slash or like a, a written article around like when Kieran Scott came in, it'll take two or three years to really bear its fruit. We're only really in that second season. There's going to be another year of a really good hopefully recruitment structure and strategy for us to keep building even more um, but obviously the teams that come down could be very dangerous again but from where we are like we've had a really good season regardless we're going to playoffs in a, in, a, in a good moment we'll hopefully have players back I think we'll probably get the better of the team that we play against in the semis and then that final is a final and whatever happens uh, in that whatever happens so I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens, but are we the favourites? No, like Luton are your favourites. Like whatever you think, like I'm sorry, like your thirds. So like it or not, play the underdog card. You're not because you are third in in the division regardless. So, well, who who cares? What do I know? So, um, but let's move on to questions uh, then, because every week you get the chance to send us your question uh, via email borabreakdown at hotmail.com uh, Twitter at Bora underscore breakdown you can follow us on Facebook as well and uh, the Bora Breakdown podcast and Instagram Bora Breakdown and also you can join our Telegram chat with over 300 Bora fans chatting some things about Bora, sometimes not about Bora we do put some news in there from time to time and it's just all fun and games um, but the first question is from Mike and Luke and they say is our away for a problem um Dana Malt, is our away form a problem mm, you know what I'm gonna say yeah a little bit because you've got to understand that we'll only be at home once in the playoffs and we've got a, a maximum there of three games and the other two are going to be away from home obviously Wembley's neutral ground but it's not it's not the Riverside is it and to give Carrick credit he has definitely improved our away form we were second worst team on the road when he took over only Huddersfield had uh, accumulated less points on their travels than us so he has definitely improved that narrative however I am far less confident in Borough on the road than I am at the Riverside it's like on and this is another FIFA um, <laughs> mention here so I apologise but it's like when you sim in a game on career mode and you're away from home and you just know that you're mm. going to lose because it's away from home now I don't have that exact same feeling like I'm, I know that Borough or I feel like Borough are going to lose away from home but I just don't have the same confidence I just I don't know what it is specifically but it's not been particularly great um, this season as a whole, but <clears throat> yeah, I think it definitely has to be mentioned. Obviously, the again, it it matters the context because particularly the last two games, we have to mention it again. Played well against Luton, didn't win, lost because of um, a really poor decision to award Luton a, a penalty, which was absolutely not a penalty. And then obviously <laughs> the Keith Stroud show ye- uh, yesterday. So there's two there you can you can probably understand why we lost them but overall it's been it's not been great but then we have picked up some really good results on the road you know Chef United and and Swansea and the the lovely three ones that we seem to like 
we can't have everything, can we? And I wouldn't necessarily say that we're poor away from home. It's just that we're not as good at home. And in the playoffs, you're looking at those tiny, tiny, tiny little vulnerabilities that because of the pressure of the situation become like heightened and elevated because of that. So potential concern, I would probably say. Okay, then. And then the next question is from Rob. Uh, he says, Corners discuss. Um, Charlie and Andrew have asked similar questions about this one. Um, there's a little stat which I love about Corners is that 97% of Corners end in like something that you don't want it to end in. So, like, you're just not going to create a chance, like, goes up for a goal kick, you get counted on. You don't have a good opportunity that happens. So, like, 97% of the time, it's a failure. But as fans, we love a corner. I don't, I've never understood it. I think you're statistically more <laughs> likely to score from a long throw in. Uh, like create a good opportunity from a long thrower than you are from a corner, um, which is all fun and games. Um, but corners, um, they weren't particularly great, I guess, against Rotherham, Tom. And we haven't really been good at corners all season. I know your bet, of course, uh, Darren Lenahan to score. Um, that's probably his best chance. But what do you think? How come Boris corners aren't particularly great? Because we're not swinging him into the near post and just putting Daryl Enahan on the near post like I do on <laughs> FM, and you know he's my top scorer of the season. So clearly that's oh all God. we need to do. Um, but no, I, I'm not too sure on it to be honest. It's not like we've got bad delivery um, or bad players players with bad delivery taking them. You know Ryan Giles, top assister in the league, um, usually takes our corners and for whatever reason can't we, we can't seem to capitalise on them a lot of the time. Me and my mate were talking about this yesterday, about how we never seem to be good at corners. We never were under Tony Pulis, which was like a big surprise because it's Tony Pulis. We had Aidan Flint. Really, we should have been, he should have been, and he should have been the first Borough player to win 20 goals since Bernie Slaven in that <laughs> Tony Pulis season. It shouldn't have been left to Akpom to do. Um, but I, I think the, the only time I can remember as being a kind of threat from corners was under Karanka when we had these sorts of routines from free kicks and corners and, you know, you can do a short corner, swing it in, Ayala or Gibson's going to nod it in. And we just, we, we don't seem to be able to do the same thing. It seems either when we're doing the short corners, it seems rushed and and, and people kind of like uh, f- forget the marks, uh, so to speak, or, uh, you know, swinging it into the box from directly from a corner doesn't seem to to work that well for us either. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. got some bits on. Sorry, I've just got some bits on the the set pieces because I I always thought even under Karanka we weren't particularly good at them because me and my dad would always and still do make a joke of oh was Grand Lebet taking that one and but yeah it's always been an annoyance hasn't it it's not specific criticism to this team Borough have never been good at set pieces and I you know what I'd like to see a set piece coach just to maybe go down the innovative route rather than the traditional like outswinger and swinger just a little bit of routine there that's different from the norm but I will say I've always held this belief it's not necessarily needed I don't think need is the right word because we are such prevalent goal scorers this season again <laughs> amazing to say this it's not it's never gonna like die down for me but the top scorers in the league that is worth something that is weighted and that means that we don't necessarily need to be good at set pieces commentary who are directly beneath us in the table likely to be in the playoffs don't say it don't don't no no, they're bottom of the table for set pieces so you know this narrative that you need to be good at set pieces i don't know why you're like (laughs) i don't know why your head's on your microphone it is 
curse to a T. Knocker has a death row scoring off a corner. One hundred percent whipping one in. It's off someone's backside and going in. No, thanks. <laughs> Probably no, but you know, Black Blackburn as well were uh, joint bottom until yesterday, where they scored a um, from a corner against Luton. So there's two teams there, one in the playoffs currently, and another one in the playoff picture that haven't necessarily needed playoffs to be. Uh, haven't needed uh, set pieces to be in the playoffs. And we're 16th for, for set piece goals scored this season with 10. So it's it's not needed. It would just be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to not have this annoying issue of, oh, there we go, the keepers claim the ball straight from the corner. That's what annoys me the most. Because, you know, when we get a corner and everyone's uplifted, they're on their feet in the north stand, they're anticipating a goal. I just sit there and I'm like, well, that's not going anywhere. It's no advantage. It's just not. It's how I've been conditioned to react to corners being a Borough fan. They're no advantage. And yesterday we had 11 of them and our set player XG, this is obviously um, factoring in the, the, the free kicks that we had as well, 0.02 expected goals from set players, which is like having crisps. Yeah. Packet of crisps, it's just air, which is just packet of crisps anyway. That's just what walkers do nowadays. But 0.02 from set player expected goals. Set piece coach, please, would be nice. I mean, we can't have everything, but it just it would just be nice, wouldn't it? It'd just be nice. I just want to unpack everything that you've just said there on like Walker's Chris, uh, really low XG. Um, so I have, I have one question for you quickly. Where who so who's God. top of the set piece um, table? Goal score this season, uh, yeah. Millwall. They've got twenty three goals scored from set, from set piece. Wow, mm-hmm. that's interesting. That's why I don't want to play them in the playoffs because, yeah, you can say that they don't break teams down the beneath them in the table or whatever, but they can do from set pieces and I just don't think Borough can defend them. Well, look, like I said, 97% of the time it ends in, you know, not wanting, like, not, like well, you're not, you're not seeing something that you want to see. Um, it ends in disaster, but 3% of the time it works every time. Um, so we'll, we'll move on. But, Let's look ahead to Monday, um, and before we get Mark's um, Mark's thoughts from from Sky Blues TV uh, TV podcast, um, Tom, do you think we should go into the game full strength or full house as well? Yes, I definitely yes, think yeah. we <laughs> definitely think we should should do try and you know build some momentum before the playoffs. Um, go, going into that, if it is Coventry we end up getting in the playoffs, if they've already played a, a packed out Riverside. And you know, came away with something. They're not really going to fear that so much in the home leg of the playoffs. So, I'd like us to go out there and and, and try and uh, you know prove a point and get that momentum going in. We might not even end up playing them if we do win, but at least we've got that to take into the playoffs. Okay then. Well, let's look ahead to Coventry now. And Coventry have had twenty-one points from the last twelve games. Only four teams accumulated more. The current on a run of six games without defeat. Guy Gerez is their top scorer and second top scorer in the league. And both him and uh, the keeper Ben Wilson were named in the championship team of the season. But just to find out a little bit more about Coventry, we spoke to Mark from the Sky Blues TV uh, podcast to find out a little bit more. Hi, this is Mark Smith from Sky Blue Fans TV. Um, just to give you a bit of insight into um, Coventry City ahead of Monday week's game at uh, the Riverside Stadium. Formation-wise, we tend to play 
3-5-2. We will probably likely play that for the same team as, as we did uh, in the previous game at Birmingham yesterday. So I'd expect it to be something on the lines of Wilson in goal, Callum Doyle, McFad, Carl McFadden, Luke McNally at, at the three centre-halves, Norton Cuffey, um, sort of a right wing back, he sort of plays midfield and also can do the defensive position. Jake Bidwell was probably our best player at um, uh, yesterday against Birmingham City. I expect him to retain his place. I would, I would imagine there'd be three midfielders in Josh Eccles, uh, Liam Kelly's, who's deputising for Ben Sheaf, who's um, been uh, injured, he's out, out for the rest of the season, and obviously Gus Hamer. Uh, and then we've got um, Matty Godden and, and Big. Big Fixer Jokerez up front. I think players to watch out for, I think, obviously, Fixer Jokerez, uh, I think he's second top goal scorer behind Chief Rappon. But not just his goals, his assists. He's probably one of the best players with his back to goal in the championship. So I think I think he can give, he certainly cause you a lot of problems, which is probably no surprise. Gus Hamer has been probably our player of the season this year, actually, though, because I think uh, he's all-round play, he scores goals, provides assists, and he's a good defensive midfielder, tracks back well. Last season, he, he was he was pretty poor, defend, uh, discipline-wise, he was, he was pretty poor, but this season, he's he's improved that side of the game, um, and he's been he's been absolutely fantastic, um, as I say, both, both in defence and attack. So, I think they're the two key players, but... Um, you know, I think I think in, in terms of the game itself, yes, it's. Um, I mean, we, we just need one point um, from this game um, to, to cement ourselves in the playoffs. But we're under no illusions; it's going to be a difficult game. Borough are, you know, have done excellently since Michael Carrick has taken over. I'm quite glad that we played Borough at the time when uh, Wilder was manager. So, um, but we, we know, we know, we know it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Borough have, have been brilliant this season, um, so. I'm just hoping that we can get that draw. Um, I think a win is going to be tough because Borough are, are, are very, very strong at home. But um, I think we can get a draw from this game. I think we can get 1-1 one, one, uh, and that, that hopefully will get us in the playoffs. So um, let's see what happens. Clap sky, please. Thank you very much uh, for that, Mark. Um, so predictions, uh, guys. Um, obviously, it's the last game of the season. Hopefully, it's a hot, sunny day in your retro shirt. Um, but, Tom, what is your prediction for Boris' game against Coventry? I'm going to be optimistic and say 3-0. <clears throat> like I say, we need to pick up some momentum. We're good at home. Um, you know, We should be seeing the season out with, uh, with a bit of style. Okay, then three. I love optimistic, Tom. Like optimistic, it's great. Uh, Dana, uh, what are you going to go for? Can we not just throw the game so suddenly don't get in the top six, please? No. I, I, you know, Akpom's a goal off 30 in the league. So in regards to, you know, how we set up, I think you go full strength, um, certainly with Akpom up front anyway, because that, that's a big feat for him and for this football club to have a 30 goal a season striker. So, yeah, I'm going to go with... I mean, let's be honest, Jokerez is scoring, isn't he? So we'll get that out of the way first. 2-1 to Bora. 2-1. I want to go 2-0. Um, we all go home happy. Um, and I, th- I think Coventry is still in the playoffs if there's a, if they get beat, right? I think there's a lot of things that have to go against them for them to not to get in. Um, so I think they'll probably do it anyway. Um, but, you know... Uh, we'll we'll soon find out. But Borough suffer back to back defeats against uh, Luton and Rotherham. But can they see a blue sky ahead against Coventry? This has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was our Borough Master Chatter in a pod. Up the Borough Breakdown. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.